All right, everybody, we are live. My name is Andrew Krause. I'm one of the co-founders here at InventRight. We're going to do a full hour of Q&A on inventing. Um, sorry, it took me uh, just a few minutes late there. Uh, YouTube was having some issues with me getting in there, or I was having some issues with it one way or another. Um, if somebody could type in yes, just to confirm you can hear me. Testing, let's see, looks like it's working. If somebody could type in yes, then we'll get going. There we go, thank you, Tim. We're good now. All right, so let me just close my door over here. Oh, I don't want us to be disturbed. So we're going to do a whole hour of Q&A with you guys. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. Okay. Um, healthy Life or, I don't know, they didn't type what their name was. They're just asking if... If some of these programs, Design Studios, Smart IP, InventRight Connect, yes, they're they're included when you sign up with our one-on-one coaching program. And um, obviously with Design Studio, we can't design unlimited cell sheets, but you get one cell sheet, one virtual prototype. You get to use Smart IP, which helps you file your provisional patent application. And you get InventRight Connect, which is a database of companies that we've reached out to and confirmed are looking for ideas. But I'll tell you with that, when you work with a coach at InventRight, they make sure that you are making your list from scratch. This perception that, oh, I just need somebody to hand me a list is just amateur hour. So when you have a particular product and you show it to your coach and your coach can guide you and say, well, based on this product, I would look for companies over here and over there and these types of companies and don't forget about these and you know I wouldn't bother with those and so they're training you on how to make your list of potential licensees so as when you're licensing a product it means to receive royalties so you receive a royalty every quarter for the product that they sell and when you're licensing a product you the inventor is the licensor and the company which is a manufacturer not a retailer people um, a company that's licensing it is the licensee. So when um, licensees are, are showing, when you're making your list of potential licensees, manufacturers, and these are manufacturers that sell at the retailers where you want to be, okay? And don't worry if you didn't get all that, but most of you probably did. Um, you need to make that list from scratch. And yes, we have a program called Bridging the Gap. We actually bring on... CEOs and marketing managers, design teams from these companies that say, this is what we're looking for. And they talk one, they don't talk one-on-one, -on -one, but they talk in a group Zoom call with our students and say, this is what we're looking for. I mean, they've even been giving um, our students specifics. I can't mention what it is, but we had this one company that was doing kitchen type products and they gave this very specific thing that they're looking for with a, ro with a uh, rolling pin, you know, like you'd roll dough with. And literally, I think it was like, Five, six days later, I saw one of our students had the solution for them, which is great. So that's a program called Bridging the Gap. So that's great. And then we have another, we have a database called InventRight Connect, which is lists of companies looking for ideas. But you don't kind of need that. Like if you make your list of companies that's in major retailers where you want to be, you don't need confirmation that they're open to ideas. They'll let you know if they aren't. And you need to be willing to get that kind of 
know from some companies and you reach out to 40 companies and maybe five or eight tell you, no, we're not open to outside ideas. So what? But I think a lot of inventors want this list because one, they just think it's easy and then they just spam people. But you want to make sure your product is right for them. You want to make sure it's a great presentation. They're going to get in like six seconds. You look at their product line. You want to verify they're in all the major stores you want to get into. So I've found that our students making their list of companies from scratch and being guided by their coach, um, it's it's a better list than if they just start going, oh, there's a there's 200 kitchen companies. I'll just start spamming them. It actually takes more work to look at each company to make sure it's the right match because you don't want to spam people. You're going you're gonna to burn the bridge for the next inventor if you do that. And it's unprofessional and they'll remember you and won't want to get more ideas from you. So, um, yes, we have lists of companies looking for ideas, but we we show you how to make your list from scratch and empower you so you can figure out what companies you're going to reach out to for any product you ever work in in the future. It's a skill. It's a methodology that every one of our students gets to experience. If we just handed you a list and said, oh, you don't need to you don't need to figure out what companies to call it. We wouldn't, they wouldn't be learning anything, you know? So, so thank you for that question. Um, I don't know, Mosh said, instead of going it alone, how would Mark Portney be different in licensing a product? Finally, can a new invent, okay. So, you know, he's just a guy that Steven's been interviewing and he launches new products. Um, I think he'd be like any other potential licensee and that if you sign a licensing agreement with Mark or anybody else, they would work on manufacturing and selling the product and then pay you a royalty. So I would think, so it's just like any other potential licensee. So you need to figure out what kind of deal he wants to work out with you, you know? Um, so Mark's a little bit different as he's willing to jump in and launch a product that might not be in a category he's been in before. With most potential licensees, though, if you're doing a kitchen gadget, you're going to approach kitchen gadget companies. If you're doing a gardening product, you can approach a company that does gardening products. If you do an automotive product, approach companies making automotive aftermarket products. It's just that simple. So they're already the beautiful thing about that is it's their money and it's their workforce. And so they have this machine. Let's say they have um, we have one uh, of our companies that. Um, uh, one of our coaches actually licensed to, and they have over 8,000 SKUs. Somebody asked me the other day, what's a SKU? And a SKU is a stock keeping unit. So if you had two different colors of the same product, that would be two SKUs, okay? So, but it could be 8,000 different products, but usually sometimes there's variations. And if there's a slight variation of the product, that's a different SKU, but it's basically products. So, I mean, we had a company that had 8,000 products. So my point is that I'm, what I'm trying to get to here, and you're not keeping me because I'm the only tripping over my own words here. Uh, but the point is when you have this machine, which is if a company has 8,000 products, okay, they're a machine, sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising. When you plug your product in that machine, you're part of that machine, which is a beautiful thing. So it's their money. It's the money machine accounting, manufacturing, marketing, sales. They just, it's just another product in their product line. So, and that's not a bad thing because they know what they're doing and, and it's very organized and well lubricated and it's moving along. 
Um, and then the biggest thing is existing distribution. You know, if they're in 30,000 stores, then you're in 30,000 stores. So that's the beautiful thing about, about licensing. So when a company has that, and most companies you're going to license to, Mosh, have that, um, that's a huge benefit. But if somebody's going to go gung-ho like Mark, that Stevens interviewed him a couple times, and work on your product, um, and they're gonna, he's going to really give it his all to license to manufacture and sell that product. Maybe he's going to do some online marketing or something. There are companies like that as well. But mostly you're going to be approaching companies that what you're doing is the right match for what they're doing, and you're tapping into an existing machine, money, workforce, and distribution. That's the whole point of licensing, okay? Running around saying, I want this guy or this person over here, I'm not talking about Mark now, to start a business from scratch, which is what that show Shark Tank is about. That is not nearly as appealing as licensing because you get the money, the workforce, and distribution all in one place. So licensing is way sexier than Shark Tank ever will be in reality. Now, as far as TV goes, it's interesting. Do they get the money? Don't get the money. Maybe they beat him up. Maybe they tell him it was a great presentation. It makes for entertaining TV. But what makes for a better recipe for success when you're licensing is licensing itself because you're getting the money, the workforce, and the distribution. So, Mosh, the other part of the question, can a new InventRight student access your already existing contact list? Has any student licensed a product in the podiatry foot care sector. So that's a perfect example, Mosh, why relying on lists is, is a joke. Um, you can easily make your list of potential licensees with the guidance of a coach that is right for your product. So they teach you the method methodology. This lazy, I'm not calling you lazy, but this thought that, oh, I'll just need somebody to give me a list and I couldn't possibly do that on my own. It's just garbage. We're all about empowering inventors. So, you know, and it's that's kind of a little bit more of a niche. I have people, tons, I've had students. I got one right here. Uh, I got this PTFE tape right here. This is one of our students that licensed a podiatry type of, of, of product right here. Uh, hugely successful. So, um, so, but you don't want to like go, Oh, I, uh, I'm gonna, going to, I need a list of people that hunt aardvarks, okay? You know, we don't have that list. And even if you do have a list, let's say it's a category where we have tons of companies like Kitchen, you would still make the list from scratch. The coach would literally say, don't even look at the freaking list until you make your list from scratch. Then look at the list and see what you may have missed. There might be some extra ones in there perfectly fine. People like that. We know people like it. But in the end, we're empowering you. So you don't need our stupid list and you can do this and license forever and you become empowered. And that's a very different approach. We're always giving people what we know that they need, not necessarily what they ask for, because what people ask for isn't always in their best interest. And we're just kind of like arrogant like that. But because we're not just like trying to schlock stuff. We're trying to empower people because our students, when I ask them, when, before somebody becomes an event rights student, I say, you know, do you have other ideas? And like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got 100 ideas or 50 ideas, five ideas, or I don't have any on top of my head, but I come up with ideas. And I go, great. When you go through the process with a product or two, real life product or two, and go through the entire process, you're going to become empowered. And when you come up with another idea, you're going to feel comfortable 
making your list and doing everything else that is required to license a product. So that's just us. And people have told us, oh, you should just sell what people are asking for. I'm like, that's not, that's not our thing. Um, our thing is really giving people what they really need. And once you become an event rights student, or maybe watch these Q and A's and watch us on YouTube and realize, oh, I need to get my mindset right, you know? And so we're very much getting you into the right mindset because otherwise then you're going down the wrong path. I mean, that's what any good coach would do, to be honest. Um, Okay. Uh, Marie said, hi, Andrew. I recently got a provisional patent for my product and I wanted to reach out to companies in South Korea. I have a sell sheet in a video, but most of the companies I'm looking at have an email. First point of contact, should I just send them the info since it will be hard to ask permission? Um, no, I wouldn't send them anything unless you ask permission first. That's professional. It's unprofessional to send unsolicited submissions. It's not professional at all. Um, why are you trying to send to companies in South Korea, though? Um, now, if they're South Korean companies, which, well, there's no North and South. There's, they're not, the North Korea doesn't make anything and sell anything in the United States, um, as we know. So if you have a Korean company uh, and they're really big in the U.S. or big in Canada or big in Europe, I don't see that as any different as contacting a European, Canadian or American company. Um, why you'd be specifically reaching out to a company that only sells in Korea, which is not what you said, but a South Korean company, um, or why you're focusing on South Korean companies, I don't know. Um, more than likely, a U.S. company, a Canadian, European company will be way more likely to license your product. Or I see Asian companies that have really big presence, like I'll just give one random example, top of my, like Samsung in the U.S. That's the same as an American company. They have such a massive U.S. presence. And even if they have a small U.S. presence, I don't see they have U.S. headquarters. I don't see that as being anything different than licensing to an American company. To me, that is like licensing to an American company for licensing purposes. Okay, so kind of wondering why you're reaching out or bothering to reach out to South Korean companies. Now, if those South Korean companies are very big in the US, great. Try to reach out to the US office if you can. If not, you can reach out over there. That's fantastic. And since this is a Q&A and it's not a live discussion, you know, I'm not really sure um, what your situation is. So uh, let's see. Hold on, I got somebody Skyping me. Uh, let's see. The other part of the question from Reese, most of the companies I'm looking at have an email as the first point of contact. Should I just send them the info um, since it'd be hard to ask permission? You know, well, most of our students are reaching out on LinkedIn, Marie, and they're reaching out via email and they're reaching out on the phone. So whatever method you use, you should always ask permission. I'll just make it really simple blindly spamming them with your sell sheet is not, not, not professional. Don't do that. Always ask permission. Um, you need to make that point of contact. You can do that via phone. You can do that via email. You could ask who the right person to be, reach out to would be. And they're like, oh, that would be Bob. And then you can reach out to Bob and ask permission from him. But I think what you're saying is sometimes the people that you reach out to, to figure out who that person, this isn't what you're saying. This is what I'm going to say is not the right person, should I, should I just send it? And the answer is no. You should always figure out who the right person is and then send it to them. 
Um, uh, hi, Andrew. Jay Bell here. A couple weeks ago, uh, you mentioned a three-month program. Can you give us a brief overview how it differs from six? We are not going to be doing that. It was something we were um, briefly talking about, and we're, we're sticking with the six because it's really what's required to get people through the whole process. Because we want people to understand the entire process and go, I get it. I don't need you guys anymore. And that's and I have students that tell me that. They go, Andrew, I don't need you anymore. And I'm like, oh, why do you need to be so rude? And then they remind me of what I said because I say that pretty frequently. And I'm like, oh, okay, I, now I know what you're saying. And I go, great, I'm so proud. And they know that we got their back um, if they get in over their head. But the, you need that time to have your coach by your side and be guiding you through it all. And we've just found that to be the case. So I threw it, God, I only threw, and I got a bunch of people asking, I only threw it out in one live Q&A and I just set it for like a second. And I got a bunch of people that were reaching out to me asking me about that. Um, what's the, uh, Alexand Alexandra, uh, Alexander, sorry, I think it's Er maybe, I apologize. I'm sure you'll forgive me. Uh, what's the main difference between a U.S. PPA and a United Kingdom PPA? Um, uh, you know, I, I would just, if you're in the UK, all our U.S. students and every, anything I share with you today should not be considered legal advice. Um, please consult an attorney if you need legal advice. That's my, my disclaimer. All our UK students and our students around the world just file a U.S. provisional patent application. It's way too detailed to go into here. But the U.S., U.K., and many other countries are part of what's called the Patent Cooperation Treaty. So in a roundabout way, when you file a U.S. patent, it's going to preserve your rights in a certain way if you file later in other PCT countries. I won't go into details because it's a really detailed conversation. But I would just file a U.S. provisional patent, Alexander, or Alex I think it's Alexander. Um, Alexander should, said, should I be cautious about accepting LinkedIn contacts from China, even if they seem related to our business? I, I wouldn't care. They're just contacts. It's not like because you add somebody that happens to be from China that they can see your personal messages on LinkedIn. So who cares? Um, but I get solicited and get spam from people, manufacturers in China, not the type that you would want to license to, but contract manufacturers. We want to make your product for you. We have injection molding, this or that. Those are the, aren't the companies you want to license to. You want to license companies that have brands and have distribution at the retailers where you want to be. So um, I don't see any harm in it. It's a good thing to build your network. But personally, I don't add spam or, well, Usually I don't know they're a spammer because for me, I don't know how many contacts I have. I got them, I think it's like 10,000. Um, don't quote me on that. I think it's around 10,000 or so or more. Um, I just add everybody in my network. As long as they're not an invention promotion scam company, because um, I hate those guys, uh, I, uh, I add people to my network. And then as a result, I get spammed by some of these people. So if I start getting spammed by some Chinese company that's trying to like, we have injection molding this or that, they're not trying to rip off your idea. They're just trying to sell you services and they're spamming people. I just block them. I just block them and report them as spam. Um, but no, I wouldn't be worried about accepting those connections at all. It's not like they can see your, your personal communications. I wouldn't be worried at all. But 
Um, if they start to annoy you, just block them. Realize they're not a potential licensee. Contract manufacturers are not potential licensees 99% of the time. The manufacturers that have brands that are in the stores where you want to be, those are the ones you want to license to. So the lesson there, which isn't, I answered your question directly, is don't try to license to contract manufacturers. You don't want somebody that just makes stuff. You want somebody that makes stuff and distributes stuff, okay? And some of these brands or manufacturers, yes, they're getting stuff made in China at a captive factory or just most of the time just a factory that they contracted with. But they're it doesn't matter if they made it themselves in the U.S. or they made it in China. or the, the, the thing is they're getting it made and they're manufacturing and distributing it. And there's going to be the whole, the whole supply chain issue is just, oh, my God, it's just such a mess now. I've talked to so many companies. The whole world is changing. The thing is, our students are doing deals as they always have and they, as they will continue to do. And these companies are launching the new products. It doesn't matter that the entire manufacturing and supply chain is in flux, which it definitely is. Um, I wonder if that manufacturing can really even come back to the United States because you don't have the people anymore that can do a lot of this stuff. Um, I would love if as much of it as possible could come back but I suspect a lot of it will go to, you know, Vietnam and Laos and, and, and Thailand and other countries. Um, but they're so small compared to China. China just, you know, dominates that whole deal. But so are the companies that our students are doing deals with right now, it's taking longer for them to launch products, but they're still getting the product from China if they're getting made in China. We've had several of our bridging the gap companies we do with our students come on, and one was exclusively already manufactured in the US. So that was really nice to see. Um, but do not hesitate for a second to continue to license your products. Yes, things are really weird right now, but these products are still getting launched. Um, companies that have been insatiable, not companies, sorry, consumers have an insatiable appetite for new, 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 new. And the companies know this and they know they need to launch new products. And you are their free research and development department. They only need to pay you if they like your idea. If not, it didn't cost them a dime. And our students, I just got back from the hardware show and I got 30, I got 30 companies right here over 30 actually that are open to ideas and um, from the outside at the hardware show and I have to tell you they're they're just very very open so now is a great time to be licensing you know whatever I found that when people are new to this which is understandable it's human nature no matter what's going on people always try to find some people will find an excuse. Oh, well, it won't work because of that. And then you can use that excuse rather than putting themselves out there. But these are all valid questions too. People say, well, now everything's kind of in flux and is a good time to be licensing. And I can tell you firsthand that our students are licensing just as much now as before. It's taking companies longer to launch a product, but so what? That's all on them. When you license, it's on them to do all that work and you're moving on, you're licensing other products. So that's the right attitude to have right now without a doubt. Um, so great questions, guys. Let's see. My distributor, this is from D Hunter. My distributor is interested in licensing my brand slash patent. It sounds like uh, D is manufacturing the product herself and selling it herself. 
would I be in a good position to ask for higher than average royalty rates and better terms? It is called, is it called something? Okay, market ready, thank you, question mark. So what Dia is doing is Dia is manufacturing her own product and she has a distributor. So sometimes when you're manufacturing your own product, you're going direct to the retailer and selling. But in Dee's case, she has a distributor that it acts as a go-between that sells the, she sells the product to the distributor and the distributor maintains a relationship with retailers and then sells the retailers. Not, that's not a licensing deal. That's her manufacturing and selling her product, building her brand, all that sort of thing. So absolutely, Dee, I mean, if you've been venturing your product and you have distribution in 10,000 stores and you have 5,000 in inventory and you've kind of built your brand a little bit, can you ask for more in the way of a royalty? Yes. And usually what I would see then, it's it's basically a buyout because if they're buying your tooling and they're buying your inventory and you have all this distribution already, if you do, I don't know if you do, um, then that has value. So the way I see it, the best way, I, my favorite way to do that sort of deal is to, they're buying your company plus you get a royalty and yes, a higher royalty. So every time they sell a unit, you... Um, you know, at quarterly, you'll get royalties as well. So let them, because they would have to tool up and manufacture the product and all that um, anyway. So now you're saving the money. So of course, hell yeah, you need to get compensated for that. Now, here's the big question. Do they want to continue to use the distribution you've already built up? Now, the thing is, when I talk to most inventors, their distribution is pretty minimal. Um, some people think like, oh, I want to prove that it works. And it's like, no company's going to be improved. This isn't you, D. I'm talking in general. That you, they're not going to be impressed that you sold 500 units. That's not impressive at all. They're like, oh. So then you got to make an excuse and go, no, no. I was just testing. We're just testing the market. Just wanted to get some feedback. It's like you almost need to backtrack and go, no, no, no. That's just me testing. That's not me running a business and I'm selling 500 units a year or even 5,000. They're not going to be very impressed by that. So you have to basically just say that you were just testing. Now, let's fictitiously say D is in 10,000 stores. Let's see, she has a couple major chains and some smaller accounts. That has value. So she's selling her company plus doing a licensing deal. And that's the way I would see that happening. But do not mistake, don't ever think that 100 people liking a post on Facebook means anything at all. It means less than nothing because when people are asked to open up their wallet, in, like if you did a focus group, only one in 10 people will actually open up their, that said they liked your product will actually open up their wallet and give you the money if they said they would buy it in a focus group. So companies know this. So don't think that people liking on Facebook or selling a couple hundred is a necessary thing to license. I like it's almost better if you haven't sold a single one because now they can use their imagination and go, oh, this could be big. And, you know, we just had a company um, come on one of our Bridging the Gap sessions where we bring on CEOs of companies, sometimes they're marketing managers, with to our students, and we put them together in a live Zoom session. They say what they're looking for. And this one company in particular was super, super excited about one of our students' products. Like they said, this is going to be a big hit. This is really nice to get a company that excited about a product. Really, really cool. Um, but they not a single one had ever been sold. So they're using their imagination about how great it will be. And also a lot of it's based on feedback. They're talking to some retailers and they're, they're like, hey, we like this, you know, but they think it's going to be a great big hit. Um, so you do not need to sell your product 
in order to license it. You don't need to sell a single one. But D, she is a distributor, so she must have some sort of distribution. So you need to get compensated for that, D, without a doubt. It's not something I would bring up early on in the conversation. D's asking, do I, do I use particular wording? And she was saying, um, market ready. So yeah, I think in the email you can summarize the toolings there. I've got some distribution, I've got inventory. Um, you don't wanna ramble on about it, but um, it's, it's ready to go. Now they might wanna change the name or change something else. So you don't wanna um, be perceived as not being flexible there. But um, so go for it, D. Um, and you, so what you can do is you continue to venture it and sell it yourself and you can be licensing it on the side. Some people are like, oh, I can do that. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, you can do it. So if you're selling a product yourself and you're making money, even if it's a small amount of money, I guess sometimes people like they've been venturing the product and they're making a couple grand a month of other people making hundreds of thousands a month or something like I've had a few people like that too. I'm like, you do not need to stop doing what you're doing. If you got money coming in the door from selling this product, keep doing that. And then in tandem at the same time, you can be working on licensing it. So if you got money coming in D, keep doing what you're doing. If you need that money coming in, you want to keep doing that. Go for it and then also work on licensing it. And I would say it's it's market ready. And I would have some quotes from clients that are um, testimonials. These are all things you can get when you've been selling your product. So there are some advantages to doing it, but it's such a massive financial and time risk, like usually years of your life, that you do not need to do that to license. But could it be an advantage? Could you get a slightly higher royalty if you put three years into this and have distribution and worked your butt off day and night to do it? Hell yeah, of course. Why not? Um, uh, Mariana said, how do we know companies looking to help inventors for free are legitimate? I don't know what companies, I mean, well, let's talk about InventRight. Um, Steven and myself are the co-founders and we do a lot of free education. Um, but we're not, I'm not on here schlocking you or coaching every two minutes. That's like old school. So, um, so we offer free education. We do have our YouTube show. I'm doing a whole hour of Q&A um, without some giant ploy. Do I hope that a percentage of you are going to sign up and become students of ours? Yeah, I do. Do I feel really good about educating you if you're not and help you do that much better when you're working on licensing your products? Hell yeah, I do. And so, um, but if somebody's offering to help you for free. I don't know what you mean help you. They're saying they're going to license your product for free. Eh, I don't I don't know about that. So, you know, I think what you want to do, Mariana, is educate yourself, reach out to potential licensees, companies that um, can license your product. These are brands that sell at the retailers you want to be, not somebody inventors, we will help you sort of pe people, you know. Um, so I'm not sure what you mean um, by companies that help inventors for free, are they legitimate? I, you need to be more specific. If you wanna type in a little later, we can get back to it, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I'm still working things out, Alexander. Andrew, I may suggest you modify your video setup. Would you be benefit from to zoom in on your body and face and leave less room for the background? Okay. Yeah, I'll try. I don't know how big of a, on my monitor, I have really wide screen, but I guess it depends on what size um, computer you are on. And also, I guess if you're on YouTube, if you're going full screen or not, or what you're doing there. But but thank you. I'm still working on tweaking things, and I think these are a little shiny. 
I might replace it with a different kind of shelving. Uh, it's new, so I'm working on getting some stuff up and running. Um, so thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. This is cool. Let's see. Things are happening here. Um, Sebastian said, I have a product idea and I've contacted a company, but they want me to sell 15 units before I contact again. Well, that's funny. Based on what I was just saying, that's, I, I never hear that. That's just bizarre. Is this, um, normal? No, it's not normal at all. It's just outright strange, Sebastian. Um, I have a prototype, but don't have the means for production. So, um, Sebastian, this company's not interested in licensing from you. Well, I won't even say the company. The person you talk to is not interested in licensing from you. What are you going to assess with selling 15 units? It means nothing. So, you know, what I would do is I would reach back out to them and say, why do you want me to sell 15 units? What would you get out of that? What kind of feedback are you looking for? Ask them directly. They may just be trying to put you off. Sometimes every once in a while you get a marketing manager, somebody that's a little bit of a know-it-all, or they just offer some random advice. So when we have students that are new to licensing, one company will say something and then they're like, oh, it's always like that. And the coach is like, no, that was just some bizarre little anomaly. That's not normal. And then something else will happen. They're like, oh, that's going to happen over and over and over again. A company asking you to sell, or it's not a company, it's a person, right? You're talking to a person. Sell 15 units before you contact them again. Weird. I We have such a large sample size of experience. We've been doing this for 21 years. We've had help students in over 65 countries. That is not normal. Um, and ask them why and what kind of feedback they're looking for and see if you can move it forward. But they're more or less, that might have been their way of just brushing you off, to be honest with you. It's like, well, because then what are you going to do? You're going to be like, well, I haven't sold any, so I guess I got to do that. But that's just kind of messed up. If they, they're working in this company, maybe they're not being respectful, it really takes to launch a product and sell 15 units. Um, and they're just offering this random advice that completely is sending you in the wrong direction. So um, ask them what kind of, but I, I just so highly doubt that that will go anywhere with them, but ask them why, what kind of feedback are you looking for? Do you have a good gut instinct about this product? You know, might you want to show it to some buyers at some retailers if you're interested? Their feedback's going to mean a lot more than the feedback of 15 individual consumers. Say that. That's what I would say. Call his bluff. Why not? You got nothing to lose. Um, Steven uh, Ruiz said, Hi, Andrew. I have a product that I would like to get licensed. I have the rendering sell sheet provisional patent. How can I reach out to potential licensees? Well, um, you need a marketing piece. So you got your sell sheet, you say. So you want to reach out using LinkedIn and using the phone and using email. You want to use all those three techniques. And you want to ask permission to send them a sell sheet. So you can say, I have a, I have a product that I think would be a good match for your product line. Can I send you a sell sheet? I'm looking to license it. Um, and it's just that simple. And start reaching out. Sounds like you got your PPA. You got a sell sheet. You know, make sure your sell sheet's good. I'd say on these live Q&As, it's pretty rare. I see it in a non-invent rights student that has a good sell sheet. It's either really bad, to be honest, or it's just okay. You, If it doesn't accomplish that six seconds, I got it. Like they look at it, within six seconds, they got it. 
it is not good enough and don't waste your time even reaching out. So, but inventors, when you've been up in your own head with the product for a long time, the product and the sell sheet's making sense to you, but you gotta look at it as if you've never looked at it before, which is hard for people to do, um, and go with somebody that's looking at this first thing, instantly understand what this product is. Now, it's okay if 28 out of the 30 companies you reached out to aren't interested, that's perfectly fine, but you, they at least got what it was and they, they didn't misunderstand or going, I'm not getting this. Ah, they type not interested because you were making them struggle with understanding what the product is. Um, so that's a good question, Stephen. These are all good questions, guys. Not a single bad one um, so far. I'll let you know when it's a bad one. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Deidre said, hi, Andrew. Large manufacturing distribution company now showing my product to different licensing companies. Okay, this does the wording is a little off there, but let's break that down. Now showing my product to different licensing companies. It's been months. This is about the time it takes for them. Is this about the time it takes for them to be interested in licensing? I don't know what you mean. And now I'm very confused. So you're saying this large manufacturing distribution company. Okay. So to me, that sounds like a manufacturer that has distribution at retail. They make the product and they have distribution at retail. So that sounds good. But you're saying they're showing your product to different licensing companies. That makes no sense. So if they're a manufacturer, they're going to show your product to retailers or buyers at retailers. So your wording there doesn't make any sense. But if, and you're saying it's been months, so I would follow up with them. So if that's what they're doing, I don't know if that's what they're doing. If they're showing your product to retailers, great. And you're getting feedback from buyers. That's great. But um, you call them licensing companies and that's confusing. You're probably just learning the terminology. So, um, uh, you know, you as the inventor is a license or, and the company that would license is the licensee. So this large manufacturing company is the licensee. So why they would be showing it to licensing companies doesn't make any sense. So, but anyway, you, you feel free to clarify. I, I won't be able to get to everybody's questions, but cause we got about 17 minutes left. Um, okay. This is good. Wow. Things are really happening. So Deidre, thank you for the question. Paul says, Hey, Andrew, I recently received interest. They told me to respond through the submission portal. Okay, that's weird. They told me to respond through the submission portal, which I physically cannot. It has been a month. I believe I demonstrated patience. Should I email them? So you said, Paul says, hey, Andrew, I recently received interest. They told me to respond through the submission portal. Well, how did you receive interest? Didn't you receive interest via email? They're usually not going to respond to you through their portal. They're going to respond to you through an email. So you should reply with an email. It's been a month. So hell yeah, you should reply. That's fine. Um, you should email them. Absolutely. So, but I'm, I'm confused as to how they showed interest. So sometimes I get inventors that I'm not saying this is you, Paul, like they're like, oh, I got this company interested and they didn't get the company interested. The company just said, yes, we'll take a look at it. And they didn't even know what it was yet. And so sometimes people they get really excited when a company just says we can, we'll take a look at it. And that is exciting, but that's not interest. That's like, we agree to look at it. So, but I'm not saying that's the case for you, Paul. Uh, base Masterix, my, 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 I think when I'm tired, my, my eyes, you probably see me squinting is getting worse these days. Um, 
Base Masterick said, Andrew, thank you for these live streams. You're welcome. I, lo I love doing them. I really look forward to them. It's the highlight of every Monday for me. Um, it's, it's a little weird because it's like a one-way convo, but you guys ask such great questions and everybody says they appreciate my rambling answers. So, um, and I think I'm going a little slower today than normal. Um, usually I'm kind of like rapid fire, but um, so hopefully that's okay. But I think you guys appreciate the answers. Um, let's see, Mohammed said, currently I'm working on my project, which is a generator that makes electricity without external force, which means you can have your own generator in your house, not needing to pay an electric bill, and it can be used for many other things. And was curious about what you think about this machine. Well, I, I'm going to speak in general about energy inventors, Muhammad. Um, there are some wacky, wacky ass inventors out there that are energy inventors. So whenever you have an energy invention, so you got a new, so what's it, what the heck's an energy invention, Andrew? He's got a new generator. You have to do everything not when you're doing an energy invention, not to put yourself in the category of wacky energy inventor. So you had people call me up, hey, Andrew, I could run, a, I can run, I have this invention, I could run a car in a liter of gas for a year. I'm like, okay. Um, and so, and they say other various wacky things. And when I asked them about their background, I realized they have zero background in anything technical at all. And I immediately know they're a wacky energy inventor. Now, you could be a non-technical person and come up with some sort of energy-related invention. So don't get me wrong there. But I find that when people make these grand, which you are not doing that, Muhammad. You just say you have a new generator. Um, but you said when you do things like not needing to pay an electric bill, well, okay, but you're paying to put gas or whatever is powering that generator or solar panels, powering batteries. And so when you make general statements like that, um, it gets you're not into wacky energy inventor territory with what you wrote, but other inventors are. So you immediately want to do a preemptive strike on what their thought would be. So when you make this, let's, let's say you've got proof for an unbelievable claim, you want to kind of just directly address it and say, I've been testing it. I did this. I did that. And um, I still need to do some more. You want to kind of do a preemptive strike so they don't put you into that wacky, like, I don't even want to hear back because they're going to be saying some crazy stuff to me. It's going to suck all my time. So do a preemptive strike on establishing your credibility and establishing some sort of testing with energy inventions. You got a new kitchen gadget, whatever. You could state the benefits of it. You don't even have to have a working prototype. And they're like, oh yeah, we can do that. That's pretty obvious. But when you make these grand statements, I'm saying you don't need to ever pay your electric bill ever again. It's like, well, why don't you qualify that? You know, make some share some specifics so they take you out of the wacky energy inventor territory and go, oh, this might actually be legit. And try not to make too grand of statements. Try to make it applicable for a product or two of theirs as well. It goes in this line. Just doing something like that saying, I think it'd be good for this line or this type of product that you're selling. So, and asking me what I think about that, I mean, I don't know, Mohammed. I don't have enough information to possibly give you any feedback. You got a generator, you say you don't have to pay your electric bill. Okay, but what bill do you have to pay? What does it cost? 
What you're saying, you're sound, it sounds like you're saying it's going to run your whole house. That sounds a little overwhelming. If you had an energy invention that's just for something smaller, you know, that sounds a little bit more doable. Now, I think that's a great goal. I, I'm big on alternative energy. I installed solar in my um, RV and I had a blast doing it. I knew nothing about solar and I completely, you guys will like this, I completely learned how to install solar. I didn't know anything about electricity, didn't know anything about solar just by watching YouTube videos. I watched a lot of videos. It took me a while. And I bought one guy's book that is on um, YouTube, Will, Will Prowse. He's great. I love him. And he actually lives not too far from me. I've never met him. But so um, I'm all for energy, green inventions and stuff like that. But when you're inventing something to do with energy generation, you're automatically putting into a, a wacky energy inventor territory unless you establish some sort of credibility and don't say stuff like you won't have to pay for electricity for your house anymore. It's too broad of a statement. Um, so I can't I think it sounds great. But what's your background? Maybe you're a very technical person. Maybe sometimes with energy inventions, the problem is you need to spend hundreds of thousands to then prove your theory out. If you can actually prove it much, much better, maybe on a smaller scale or something. Um, so most of you don't have energy, energy inventions. I probably talked too long on that, so sorry about that. Um, but Muhammad, I'm sure, appreciated it. Uh, okay. Uh, Hello, Andrew. I have an idea that's not straight to consumer. That's fine. A lot of students that are licensed products, uh, commercial industrial products, um, say like a part for lawnmowers, an improvement. Should I get a provisional patent and then license to interested manufacturers? Yes, you should file a provisional patent. You could use our smart IP software if you wanted to. And so it, it can be an aftermarket product. Now you're saying it's not straight to consumer. So that's not Oh, add this thing to your lawnmower to improve it. What you're saying is it's an improvement to a lawnmower and you want to try to license this to OEM manufacturers, original equipment manufacturers. So I saw some of them, Troy built, I, I saw them at the trade hardware show when I was there on Thursday and Friday, and there's a ton of other ones too. So if it's going to improve their product, you know, you got to figure out what is that marketing you're going to show them so that they, what would they show to their customer? So you need to show them how it's going to improve their product. And so even though it's a part, you're improving the whole product as well. So you got to figure out how to show that to them. That's something that one of our coaches could easily help you with, but it's pretty in depth, of course. Um, uh, Trisha said, hi there. My question has more to do with protection, not licensing. Okay. Um, well, the question, Tricia, then is, are you going to license your product for royalties or are you going to make it and sell it yourself? Before you protect it, you should figure out which path you're going to go down. But I'd be happy to answer your question. My invention is basically combining two products together. I've heard this one like, I don't know, if I had a penny for every time somebody said that, I'd be like a bazillionaire. But it's a good question because it's a common question. My invention is basically combining two products together and making a small addition to one piece in the apparel industry. I, I can see it blowing up on social media, but with that visibility comes the realistic threat of Chinese manufacturers very easily, replicating my product, which would make it available for every online seller to simply purchase private label and sell. If I initiate a provisional patent, would that protect 
me from Chinese manufacturers, Alibaba, produce, producing so much. So first of all, Tricia, one of your major forms of protection is don't make a public disclosure. Don't show it publicly. Don't put it up on social media. Um, so if you're, your greatest form of protection is licensing it. And here's what one reason why. Now, you can choose to go venture this, but I'll approach both angles. So your greatest form of protection is licensing this because first to market is better protection than any patent will ever be. So when you go first to market, you get this really big company to blow it out there really big. Then they just crush the competition with their distribution. The other people are a me too. So when you license to a really big company, you are that really big company and they get first to market. Everybody becomes familiar with your product and they see these other ones as a knockoff. Now, if you try to sell this yourself, other people can knock it off some big company and everybody thinks that that was theirs and they don't. Need, nobody even knows you existed because you're trying to get distribution and you don't have the money, you don't have the distribution and you're just making some social media posts and everybody thinks that big company was first to, first to market that knocked you off and you're left in the dust. So that's not to say that you can't make it and sell it yourself. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying one great form of protection that people don't think about is not patents, but first to market and teaming up with this very big company through licensing. So, um, and you know, people always go Chinese manufacturers, Chinese manufacturers. Yeah, but a lot of times it's American manufacturers, European manufacturers that are knocking off a product. Yeah, they're getting made in China, but it's not the Chinese that are knocking off. It's that brand that's knocking it off. Um, also, if you're in um, you're in apparel, that's a brutal industry. All they do is knock each other off. Some big designer comes out with a new design, and then everybody's knocking it off because you can't protect simply a new cut of a dress, right? So for most apparel products, it's not protectable. Now, if you had a new purse that had this thing that folded out and has lights and has functionality so you can find stuff in your purse easier, okay, that might be something you get protection on. So I don't know what you mean by apparel, but if it's just a new skirt or with a slightly new cut or graphics, whatever, the American companies will knock you off. Now, I don't see that happening in other categories other than apparel nearly as often as apparel. I see it happening all the freaking time in apparel because that's what they do. Um, they, they just knock each other off. There's not a lot of intellectual property because if you get a design patent on it, it's very easy to get around. Um, so, Tricia, I... I, I don't know what your product is, so I can't say, um, but you're combining two products and and you, you're saying, should I get a provisional? Yes, you should. But a provisional patent application is just that. It's not a patent. So people say it's a provisional patent and we, we shorten it up for just, you know, just to make things easy. But patent attorneys will always tell you, and this, in this case, they're right. Patent attorneys aren't right about a lot of stuff with regards to licensing and advice they give with regards to the business world of licensing because they get patents and they don't understand licensing. But one thing they're right about is it's not a patent. It's a placeholder. It's a provisional patent application. And they'll always drive that point home. And they're absolutely right. It's an application. So it's, it, it's that it's a, a bookmark in time that if you later file a full utility patent and reference that provisional, then you'll have protection from that date for whatever you had in that provisional. So now what our students do is they file a provisional, they see if there's interest from a company, they, they file it and they start calling like the next weeks and you get a whole year, you never need a year to figure out if companies are interested. My God, no, not, not even close to that. 
And then you can get the company to give you the money for the patent and you file that full utility, reference that provision, he have protection from that date. So you were mentioning that it's not, your questions aren't with regards to licensing. Um, launching your own apparel product. Now I have no idea what your product is, so I can't really say. That is brutal. That's going to be very, very difficult. Now I don't know about your particular product, um, but with regards to protection, realize a provisional patent is not a patent. It's and and yes, you need to be very careful about posting stuff on social media before you're going big. So when you try to sell it yourself, you're not going big probably, unless you raise millions of dollars. You know, you're not going big when you license to a company. They can go big and they can be first to market. And so it does, when you try to sell it yourself, give other people plenty of opportunity to knock you off. And you know they might be afraid of that big company that you license to, because they'll send cease and desist and, you know, and, and stuff like that, and maybe sue if a lot of money is being made, but they're not so afraid of you. They take a look at you and they go, oh, this is just some brand new company. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll just do whatever. We don't care. They can't afford to sue us. But the big company, if they make enough money that you license to, they could afford to sue that company that's trying to knock the product off. So that's just a random tangent, but it's very applicable to what you're doing, Tricia. Um, and, and yes, you should file a provisional, but be very careful about posting stuff on social media when you're not licensing and venturing. You're just giving plenty of people an opportunity and people liking it on Facebook means absolutely nothing. Um, them buying it is a whole nother deal. People liking something and actually opening up their wallet, two totally different things. We talked about that at the top of the hour. Um, uh, I didn't see that I skipped over your questions, Gerald. Gerald said I skipped over his questions. I don't even see them, Gerald, so I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I will answer your question. Uh, yeah, I don't see any prior questions from you, so that's weird. Maybe if it was from another session. But uh, Gerald said, you skipped over my question, what DRTV companies are reputable? I can't make comments about particular companies. I can't make libelous statements about particular companies or make a statement that a particular company is reputable either. Um, but I can say DRTV, guys, is direct response television. You may also know it as infomercials um, or as seen on TV. And I can just speak generally about it, Gerald, which may be helpful for you. And I don't know why you thought you typed in other questions. I don't see a single other one. Maybe it was for another chat. But um, there's kind of a little bit of a get-rich-quick vibe with the infomercial, as seen on TV, DRTV people. Those are the all the terms that you might use to describe them. And um, along with the get-rich-quick vibe is not always the greatest reputation. There's as seen on TV companies that do not have the greatest reputation. And I've seen companies um, knock off inventors in the DRTV space. Um, I personally, for the companies that our students have approached, I have not, I do, I'm not aware of a comp, uh, student of ours, students, not fans, um, that has approached a potential licensee, a company manufacturer that has been knocked off by that company. I'm not aware of it. A student hasn't reached out to me and let me know. So that's a pretty damn good track record over 20 years. Now, um, you asked another question. So now if it's going to happen though, I would say it's more likely to happen in the DRTV space. Um, definitely. So 
if you're ske- if you're kind of like sketched out about getting ripped off, don't work on a DRTV product. You're just going to be so timid. You have to kind of be okay with taking on some more risk when you do a DRTV product. Now, some products that could be sold on DRTV could also be still sold at standard consumer product companies. So most of the time when I students like, oh, I got this new kitchen gadget. I'm like, oh, yeah, the DRTV guys might like that. But so would these standard kitchen gadget companies. They would like it as well. So they might have a list of 25 I'm using this as an example, 25 kitchen gadget companies and maybe four or five DRTV TV companies. There's only really five major DRTV TV companies. But I don't talk about companies in particular um, because I you, we just got to watch our butt. We can't say libelous things about companies. And I'm not going to I'm not I don't feel comfortable enough to give an endorsement of a particular DRTV TV company because most of them are a little mm, little little all over the place. And so if you're really sketched out and really kind of a new inventor uh, worry mode, I wouldn't work on a DRTV product. I'd be a little bit more comfortable to do that. Um, but I don't see our students getting knocked off left and right. I don't know of one example where one of our students got knocked off. I, I don't know of one of our students that's been knocked off by a company they approached. Now, uh, maybe some of these companies, they kind of know us. They know not to mess with InventRight. And if if they're reaching out, you know, they, they, they can tell. Companies say when we get submissions from InventRight students, they're way more professional than we normally see. They can kind of tell, you know, because they're really professional. So, um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Um, so Alexander is like pronounced, it's pronounced Al, Alex Sand, Alex Sand. And it's a French name. Cool. Um, thank you for letting me, and then I'll promptly forget that and call it Alexander again. Um, <laughs> Alexand. Yeah. Okay. What are the main changes over the last decade for inventions related to licensing strategies? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I'll cover some some things there. I would say companies are over the last decade are even more open now than ever than they have been before. It's you you just don't find as many companies are like, oh no, no, no. It's so old school not to receive ideas from the outside. So they're more than ever. I would say over the last decade, it's just more and more and more every year, more open to ideas. Harder to find companies that aren't. Are you going to find some of them? Absolutely. You can still find ones. No, we don't do that. I mean, I got 30 companies here from the hardware show that were open. Um, but did I get a few that weren't? Yeah, of course I got a few. That's just part of the game. Um, what else is the biggest things? I would say one of the biggest and nice things that has changed is um, reaching out on LinkedIn, that is a great place to reach out to potential licensees. So that's been a major shift. Just over the last four or five years, that's been a major shift. So that's nice. So those are two big changes. Um, uh, Good Citizen said, how would a license, how would licensing work with an artist and a clothing company? Well, that's a little bit different. So let's say, you had a, a new artwork that you wanted to put on T-shirts. 
you know, that's copyrighted. You know, you copyright the artwork, you can license it. We have one student, her name is June, and she's licensed like 80 pieces of her artwork to go not on t-shirts, but products. So she notices companies that are making products with beautiful designs. Let's say it's a nice tree or leaves. And she has these designs and she'll license these products. She'll license not a product, but the artwork to go on their products. And typically when she does that, she won't be licensing it just for one product, but a couple products. Because again, I said companies have multiple SKUs, different colors, different things. And so um, one way Good Citizen is saying, how do I license and work with an artist in a clothing company? Um, at, I don't know if you're the artist, but you can license your artwork to go on clothing. So that's just one way. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, Michael, Michael Greer is one of our students. He said, new shelving question mark. I know a guy who has a new shelf product that would work. So Michael, um, I saw him at the uh, hardware show, really, really on the ball. He knows how to license stuff. And he just licensed a, uh, a shelving product that goes on your windowsill, uh, not windowsill, but inside your window. And you could put a planter, a little pot, probably not using the right terminology, Mike, a little pot. Um, not pot that you smoke, but a pot, although you could do that too, but a pot with flowers and stuff. And it's a little shelf and it's just really easy install. And um, that post on social media, Michael, because Michael licensed it, company went public with it. So that's okay to put that on social media, actually helps him sell a few more product. Um, so he's just making a joke about my shelving. But it's great meeting up with you, Michael, at the show. Um, great show. Um, Let's see if there's somebody really quickly. Looks like we're six minutes past the hour. Um, well, this is an easy one. Okay. Yeah, this is an easy one. Then we're going to call it a day. Um, Paul said, if a person at a company I send my prototype to gets injured by my prototype, well, that's a new one, am I liable or does their insurance cover it? Wow. I, you know, <laughs> I've never had a question there. And then, do I need product liability insurance? So what I'll answer is the more practical question that's more like more commonly asked. When you license a product to a company, you should always, you should never do the deal under your own name. You should always file an LLC or a corporation. And most of our students do an LLC. You don't have to do that now, but when you do the contract and they're, you're like, hey, I want to do this new LLC, they don't care. They just want your products. So they'll say, okay. So that reduces your liability. And then you want to insist that they cover you under their product liability insurance. So most of these companies, like for these products to get into major retailers, they need a million or two in product liability insurance, which doesn't cost them much. And it doesn't cost them a dime to add you to their product liability insurance. So if a customer got hurt, let's it's not directly answering your question, Paul, but this is a more common question. If a customer got hurt with this new knife product, you know, first of all, if somebody wants to sue because they got hurt with the product, they're going to sue the company, not you. Now, if they didn't want to look for you, which they don't even know you exist, you've done that LLC. Plus, you're covered under their product liability insurance. So I have literally, I've never had one of our students sued by a potential licensee for getting injured by a prototype, or I've never had, um, a, that I know of, a company get sued by a customer for a product they even sold, that, that, that they licensed. 
But even if they did, you're not the inventor is not the one with deep pockets. The inventor's on on the back of the package. They don't even know you exist. So the fact they don't know you exist is a form of protection. The fact that you're filing an LLC um, is a form of protection. It's just an empty shell of a company that you take the money out every month. So if somebody wants to sue that company. It's like okay, and you could maybe. Well, I don't want to say what the other options are, but but so that that's another form of protection. And then you you get covered under their product liability insurance policy, um, and it doesn't cost them a dime. Companies will argue about this sometimes, and we go, no, no, it doesn't cost you anything more. Check with your insurance agent, and sure enough, they check, and they're like, oh, okay. You know, it's sometimes they'll argue with you about it, and you're like, no, I'm ninety five percent sure. It's not going to cost you anything, and you just kind of keep pushing there. But your question is, if they get hurt. With your prototype, I've literally, I I thought, you know, sometimes I think like somebody can't ask a new question I've never heard before. I would just, and this isn't legal advice, I would put something on there that just has warnings if it's a product that you could, they could get hurt with. Warning, this is a prototype, you know, it could cause injury, it's just a prototype. Put And, you know, what I would do is I would laminate a label and I would attach the product. So literally it can't get separated from the product. Take a picture before you send it. It's such a weird thing to worry about. Um, I don't know why you're worried about that, Paul. Like I've had students license ladders and all sorts of stuff. That's really high liability stuff. And I would just attach something to the product, say, look, this is a prototype. It could break, could get lost, you know, use it at your, your own risk, you know, um, I don't know why I said loss, but yeah, they do get lost quite often. So such a weird question, Paul, but a good one. Um, if your prototype is something to get hurt with, have a disclaimer attached to it, you know, um, and have them sign something. If you're 99% of you guys, you don't need to do this. But if you're really concerned because it's a really dangerous product, you know, then do something. But if it's just like they might get a paper cut, like I think you're worrying too much in that case. Um, all right. So uh, we don't have time for any more questions. Um, what I'm going to say is if you guys could do me a solid and if you're not subscribed to the channel, um, click on subscribe down below. Click on the little notification bell to watch all our videos on YouTube. This is the way you can say thank you by just educating yourself even more. Um, when you click subscribe, nothing happens. So it's just, but it helps us out. I'd love to get from 50,000 subscribers to 80,000 in some sort of reasonable period of time. So if you could help me out, subscribe, like the videos you watch, and that's the way you could help us out. I remind everybody to take care, keep inventing, we went up over a whole 11 minutes. So hopefully you got a lot of value, um, which is good value since it was free. And I wanna invite everybody to come back and check us out. And if you want coaching and some mentoring our students, are licensing stuff all the time, a lot more often than our fans, and it's because of the one-on-one -on -one guidance. So if you go to InventRight, click on Contact Us, you can learn more about that. Talk to one of our advisors, Dana or Sylvia. They're super nice people. Nobody's ever going to hard sell you. If you're like, I just want to understand what they're offering, and you want to talk to us, and you're like, I'm not ready to sign up now, perfectly fine. They'll be super friendly. Explain how we help you the whole process. So I remind everybody to take care. Uh, keep inventing, and we'll catch up with you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.